Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Ryan. Um, I'm super honored to be here. It was just, that was awesome. Thank you to our worship team for leading us. Uh, the young lady here, Sarah, who was singing so beautifully, that's Izzy's fiance. Come on now. Um, God does, he's still in the miracle working business. Come on, that's called outkicked coverage, sir. All right. Um, if you don't know what that means, we'll talk later. It's a sports reference for yeah, getting a girl you don't deserve. All right. That's pretty much all of us, let's just be honest. Certainly me. So um, thank you for being here uh, this morning. We're continuing in our series, um, The Gospel of John. We're in chapter 13. Uh, but here's the deal. Every week that I stand up here to preach God's word, specifically on weeks where I know that um, it's, it's my turn to, to teach in the text, God has this sense of humor where what he will do is he will test you on what you're about to teach on. And the reason that God does this is because it's really easy to get up here and talk about God's word and, you know, instruct his people and, and share these truths without embodying them in our own lives. And we've all known people who've done that. I know that I've done that. And there's no value to that. The reason we study God's word is that it might become one with us and we might be transformed into the image of Jesus more. So what God will do is he will test you on what you're about to teach on. And never have I ever experienced that more than this week, specifically with this topic. And this week uh, I was laying in bed and I was complaining to my wife about just all of the things I've had to endure this week regarding this specific text that God has been testing me on. And I was telling my wife this and I was complaining and I said, you know, honey, I haven't even gotten to sit down and work on a sermon at all. And she said this to me that really struck me. She said, Ryan, I think living a sermon is better than writing one. You're all dismissed. All right. So, and I thought, how powerful is that, honey? I think she stole it from me. I probably said that a while back. Um, but, and it's so true. And here's what's going to happen this morning in our text. Jesus is about to live out one of the most powerful sermons ever shown and demonstrated to the world. And by the grace of God, there were a couple guys around him who were able to pin exactly what happened so we might learn from it. Now, here's what's going to happen. In the Gospel of John chapter 13, where we are, the writer John is one of Jesus' best friends and disciples. He is going to shift the focus of this Gospel from chapters 13 through 17 to the last week of Jesus' life. Chapters 1 through 12, he's been telling us about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But shifting into chapter 13, he is going to focus so much time and material on one week of Jesus' life. Now, this is crazy. I want you to imagine with me, anybody here who's in a management position at your work? Anybody at all? Raise your hand if you are. Like, you have anybody who reports to you or who you talk to? I know there's more than that. Chandler, raise your hand. All right, here's the deal. There's some of us, we're in management positions. People report to you. Um, you instruct them. Now, here's what I want you to do. Imagine that you had one week left at your job. And it was your job as a manager to ensure that your other employees could fulfill the mission of your company, their values, their identity, and ensure that your company would continue to thrive and expand once you are gone. How important would that one week be? 
you would be sure that you need to communicate everything that matters about this company and our mission to ensure that it thrives when they're gone. This is what Jesus is doing. He has one week left on the earth, and he is going to instill into his leadership team what his values are, what the kingdom values are to ensure that these bozos don't get it wrong when he leaves. And he's going to start with our first leadership lesson in chapter 13. Maybe one of the most important leadership lessons he's going to give these disciples to ensure that the gospel of Jesus gets to San Antonio, Texas 2,000 years later. And the first thing he's going to teach us on is what it means to be a leader in Jesus' kingdom. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, we're going to start right there. Like I said, the author John is going to clue us in onto the last week of Jesus' life. And Jesus is going to give us one of the most powerful object lessons that you'll ever encounter. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Here's what happens. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Stop. Jesus knows. My time has come. I've got one week left on the earth. I'm about to go to the cross. He knows all these things. John writes, So having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. Love. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This morning, if uh, you're taking notes or if you have a a pen or your phone, um, I'm going to break this text down into three parts. And here's the first key that Jesus is going to teach his disciples and us on what it means to lead in his kingdom. Here's the first key. This is that the greatest leaders leverage their status for humble service. This is what Jesus is going to show his disciples. The greatest leaders, before I depart, you can't miss this. The greatest leaders, they leverage their status for humble service. Let's look at the text and see what happens here. Jesus, knowing that he's departing, that he's going to the cross, that he's heading back to the Father. I love what John records here. Look at verse 3. It says this, that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, put a towel around his waist and filled up a basin of water. Now, this is powerful. I love that John wants us to clue in on this. Jesus, mind you, okay, maybe you've forgotten who he is. Uh, He has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's the first thing that John tells us, that he came from God, he's the son of God, and he's about to go back to God. So let's just make sure you understand exactly who Jesus is before I tell you what he does. Now that's why this is powerful. Jesus is not some random servant or some random guy showing up and serving you. No, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And what's he about to do with all authority? He's going to take off his outer garment, he's going to tie a towel around his waist, and he's going to wash your feet. Now, here's the deal. In our culture, washing feet is not a normal thing. How many of you had your feet washed this morning when you walked in here? None of you. Some of you needed to. 
How many of you wear Birkenstocks? Raise your hand. There's a couple. Corbin, raise your hand. In my discipleship group, this is like a thing. These dudes all wear Birkenstocks. And then they wear the socks, like the Birkin socks. And um, it's a dad joke. So they wear the Birkenstocks. And have you ever walked around in sandals for like 24 hours with no socks on? How nasty is it? The smell. You take those off and you, your wife's like, oh my gosh, your feet are awful smelling. Um, don't act like this doesn't happen, okay, guys? This is what happens when you wear sandals. Well, in first century culture, in Jesus' day and age, they didn't have closed-toed shoes. And so everybody was wearing sandals, and everybody was walking around constantly. There was no transportation. There was no socks, and you walked on dirt paths. And so your feet were disgusting. Now, in our day and age, we don't understand what's happening here. But in this day and age, the only person who would be responsible for washing people's feet as they came to dinner was a slave. Not only a slave, but it was a task that was so low, Jewish slaves were not even allowed to do it. You had to be a non-Jew slave, a Gentile, somebody, a pagan, who's never heard about God, who can't be disgraced by this low act. It is not something that anyone in authority would ever be seen doing. Now, here's what happens. These guys, when they eat dinner, they don't have chairs. They lean on their arms and they lay horizontally. This is how they would have dinner. So imagine someone's feet are right in your nose as you're having dinner. And you're trying to eat your challah bread and you're like, yo, your feet smell. That's why this was so crucial. Yes, Lord, cast that demon out. Here you go. My man was angry at me. I get it. Die. So um, I don't think I've ever had that happen before. Um, I've had people boo me in a sermon. So this is what's happening. This is the context for what Jesus does here. He takes off his outer garment, he humbles himself, ties a towel around his waist, and he serves these men. It reminds me of a text, a very popular text in Philippians chapter 2, if you have uh, your scripture. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3, the, the apostle Paul, it seems like he's referencing this very same idea. And here's what Paul says about Jesus. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So here's what Jesus thinks like. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Did you catch that? Paul's saying that Jesus, his character, his nature, he empties himself. That, that word there in the Greek is the, it's the cruciform life. It means to die to yourself, to humble yourself. In the picture of John 13, he takes off his outer garment to throw it aside. That's like the picture in Philippians 2 where he, he empties himself of his authority so that he can take the place of a servant. Now, here's why this is so powerful in this context. What you don't know that's happening in the middle of this is the conversation the disciples were having right as Jesus is doing this. Look at Luke chapter 22. We're just jumping around. 
Luke 22. Here's the conversation that was happening right when Jesus does this. This is amazing, guys. Luke 22, verse 24. A dispute arose among the disciples as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. Here's something you need to know. Anytime that Jesus starts talking about the hour has come or his hour is coming, the disciples would start arguing over who's the greatest. You know why? They're wondering who's going to take his place. Who's going to take Jesus' place? Oh, he's talking about his death. His death is coming. I'm greater than you. Like literally imagine this happening. So this is Luke 22 is the same time frame as the supper that we're reading. This is exactly what's happening. Listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them called, are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater one? The one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Did you catch that? Come on, Jacob. The disciples want to know who's going to be the leader here. Who's going to take over when Jesus passes? Who's the greatest? What does great leadership look like? And Jesus interrupts this conversation with this object lesson. You want to see greatness? You want to see authority? I'll show you authority. I'll show you what it means to be great in my kingdom. In my kingdom, the greatest is the servant. The greatest is the least. See, the world doesn't operate like this, guys. Here's what Jesus does. He shows that kingdom greatness is leveraging your status for humble service. The world operates like this. If I have authority, let me leverage my status for the sake of myself. That's why none of us trust politicians. That's why none of, many of us don't trust pastors because they've taken their status, their authority, and they've leveraged it for themselves instead of for others. But that's not the way Jesus' kingdom works. Jesus' kingdom says, you got status, you got authority, you want to be great, be a servant. Humble yourself. In fact, he gives us this object lesson of taking off his authority, tying a towel around his waist, and doing the one job nobody wants to do. That's what Jesus does. In Matthew 23, 11, he says this, the greatest among you will be the servant. You want to be great? Go be a servant. Now, that's not the most encouraging message, is it? So here's a question for you. Where do you have status? Like where has God given you authority or status that could be leveraged for service? You may think, well, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't work in a managerial job or, you know, I'm, I don't have anything like that. But here's the reality. If you're a stay-at-home mom, guess, guess what? You're probably one of the most powerful people in your home. Those kids, those little kids right there, they're looking to you for everything. And you know what you can do? You can leverage that and say, you can put that kid right under your foot and say, okay, you're just doing what I'm telling you to do. I don't know yet. I'm a couple months away. <laughs> or you may say, well, I don't have any authority. Yes, you do. God has entrusted to each and every one of you a sense of authority and leadership and opportunity that you can either le leverage for yourself or you can leverage for service. And according to Jesus, if you're going to lead in his kingdom, you have to leverage it for service. 
Here's the reality. If you're too good to serve, you're not good enough to lead in Jesus' kingdom. You're not. You will never. If you're too good to serve, you are not good enough to lead for Jesus. So he continues. And here's the second thing that Jesus is going to reveal to us about leading in his kingdom. When it comes to service, the standard for serving is to sacrifice for those who cannot and will not repay you. It's not just are you willing to serve. Jesus is going to lay out the standard real quick. The standard for serving is to sacrifice for those who cannot and will not repay you. Let's continue. Verse 6. Here's what happens after Jesus steps into this object lesson. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I am doing, you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. In this verse, it's a double negative. It means you will never, ever do this. This is how humble and low of an act it was what Jesus was doing. So Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. So Peter says, Lord, then not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Peter never gets it, right? He just, he never gets what's happening. He's like, okay, if you're going to do my feet, come on in. I need a shower. So do my head too. And Jesus, once again, he's like, no. Jesus says, look, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. I love Jesus. He's completely clean and you're already clean. But check this, but not every one of you. Hold up. What's he talking about? For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, I want you to pick up on what's happening here. There's two primary things Jesus is showing us in John 13. First is this model, this object lesson of humility and kingdom service. That's the first thing he's showing you. The second, though, is he is foreshadowing what's about to happen. He is, about, he is showing you in an object lesson what he's about to do. And that is that he's about to go to the cross to wash you of your sins. Peter doesn't get it. He's washing his feet. He says, you, do, you won't understand this, but in a few days you're going to get this, what I'm doing. Now here's what I said. The standard that Jesus sets for service in the kingdom is so high. It is not just that you're willing to serve. It's who you're willing to serve. Any one of us can serve. If you've served in the service industry, you get this. That doesn't mean you're a servant. You can work at Chick-fil-A and not be a servant. You ever gotten the people that are like, my pleasure? I'm like, I don't think you're finding pleasure in this. Okay, you can, you can say that and not embody that, okay? Jesus is saying it's not just that you're willing to serve. It's who you're willing to serve. The first thing Jesus shows us, sacrificial service, is what he embodies and foreshadows. He's going to go to the cross to die for sinners. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was not willing to lay his life down for you when you got it right. In fact, he died for you when you got it wrong. In fact, you get it wrong every day. And he still laid his life down for you. He served you. He died for you. He lived the life you couldn't live to pay the debt that you owed. And he served you sacrificially to those who cannot and will not repay him. What can you give Jesus back for what he did for you on the cross? I mean, we try. 
hey, Jesus, here's a $20 tithe. Wow. I mean, he's like, wow. I don't know what I would have done without that $20. I, I mean, I, we could just go back in time. I could take myself off the cross for that $20. That's what we do. We approach Jesus with these things as if we can pay him back. Listen, you can't pay Jesus back for nothing. And he willingly chose to die for you. He willingly chose to serve you. That's the standard that he sets. But it's not just the cross in this picture. In John 13, you know who else is sitting around this table that Jesus washes their feet? His name is Judas. And if you don't notice, in John 13... The writer John makes sure that we know Judas is at the table like four times. By the way, Judas is at the table. Hey, real quick, there's somebody who's not clean. It's not Peter. He just took a shower. <laughs> Who is it, John? And then right after this, eight, verse 18 through, he's going to talk about Judas. Here's the deal. If you notice, if you read the rest of the text, Jesus washed every one of their feet. He gets to Judas, a man who in just hours is going to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He's going to sell Jesus to the Roman authorities for 30 pieces of silver. And you know what Jesus does? He still washes that man's feet. Can you imagine washing the dirty feet of somebody knowing they're going to be the reason for your death in three hours? That's the type of service Jesus calls you and I to. The standard of service for Jesus is that not that we would serve, but that we would be willing to serve those who cannot and will not repay us. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you know, um, I was preaching a sermon on waiting on God. And what do you do while you wait? And one of the things I was talking about that God showed me was our call as believers is not just to wait on God, but to obey Jesus while we wait. Do you all remember this? And I ask you to sit and listen to God and ask, how would he have you obey right now while you wait on him to fulfill what he's going to do in your life? Well, I ask God the very same thing. God, what is it? There's been a partnership um, that I'm involved in uh, with some, some folks in my life that I feel like God has been prompting me and I feel like spoke to me, Ryan, you need to serve these people. And I don't know if there's anyone in your life like this, but you serve them, you pour out to them, and they are never grateful. Anybody got this person in your life? If it's the person next to you, do not raise your hand. <laughs> there's people in your life that God asks you, stirs you, hey, you're going to sacrificially serve them, and they're never going to express gratitude. We, listen, we are all cool with serving people, who at the end of the day are going to go, oh, man, thank you so much. You're such a great guy, Renee. Wow. More guys should be like you. Anybody can serve for that. But what if you served people who don't care, who never express gratitude, and you constantly and sacrificially pour your life out, pour your life out, pour your life out, and you feel there's no reciprocation? Guess what? You just tapped into a thread of what it's like to be Jesus. That's what it's like to serve in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, anybody's willing to serve for reciprocation. Jesus talks about this. He says, when you throw a feast, don't invite your friends. Don't invite those who can pay you back and they might invite you back. No, go find the poor, the lame, the homeless, the crippled, because guess what? They can't repay you and you'll be repaid in heaven. Are you willing to serve that way? 
Are you willing to serve those who will not be grateful, who will never express it, who can't pay you back, will never pay you back, who will betray you? That's the standard that Jesus sets for service. So we're all going, sounds easy. But here's the, here's the cool thing, what happens next. Key number three is Jesus serves us to empower us to serve others. He serves us to empower us to serve others. Look at verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put back on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. I mean, is anybody confused on what Jesus is asking them to do? The language is pretty clear. Verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus, as he wraps up this object lesson, he pulls his disciples in close. He puts his outer garments back on. He sits down. And then he says, okay, so I've demonstrated this for you. What do you think I'm trying to teach you? It's really simple to understand. Jesus has given us an example to do just as he has done. Just as Jesus sacrificially served these disciples, washed the feet of those who will betray him, humbled himself to the task of a slave, he asks his followers to do the exact same. Did you know that? When you signed up to be a Christian, you signed up to be a servant. Did you know that? Jesus asks us to do the exact same, but here's the thing. He asks us, but he empowers us to do it. You see, we never, guys, we never initiate the work of God. We only ever respond to it. One of your favorite verses, I guarantee, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. You only have the capacity to pour out what has been poured in. If Jesus doesn't serve you and wash your feet, as he tells Peter, you have no share with me. You can't do this on your own strength. But here's the powerful thing. Jesus serves you as an example and he empowers you with the spirit to be able to go do what he did. The rest of the world can serve in a casual way for reciprocity, but this is a kingdom way. It's completely counterintuitive and it shows a witness to the world of who Jesus is. He serves you to empower you. Yesterday, my wife and I had friends from our church host us a baby shower. And I will say this. It was so beautiful. It was so amazing. Um, I skipped my Sandlot baseball game just for this baby shower. That's how powerful it was. And as we sat there, people are bringing us these gifts that they sacrificially bought us with their own money, with their own hard work. And we're opening them. And you ever like watch people watch you open gifts and you're just like, Ooh, like you try to, you know, like they're watching your face and you're just like, okay, make good faces. Um, 
It was overwhelming, the generosity of these people towards us. We have done nothing to deserve this generosity. We made a baby of which I was very little part of, and she's the one carrying it. And I'm like, when is this baby coming? This is tough. And um, people are giving us these incredible gifts. A, a few folks bought us this, like, the bougiest stroller that's ever been created by humans. And as we're opening, I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh, this is insane generosity. But here's what was crazy. When I walked away from that party, receiving all these gifts we didn't deserve, seeing how these people served us in a way we, didn't, we couldn't have purchased or earned, it made me want to go serve other people. As I left that party, I thought, dude, you know what? Like, I feel so empowered by the way they sacrificially loved us with their own time and money. Who wants to give up their Saturday morning to shower babies? I don't know. Not most of us. But I felt so loved by that that I thought, man, I want to go serve other people. That's what Jesus does. If you, for, if you have waned in your sacrificial service to others, it's because you forgot how Jesus served you. You've forgotten. You don't remember how dirty of a sinner you are and how he washed you clean free of anything you did. And when you remember that, you can't help but be empowered to go, man, I'm going to go love some people. I'm going to go serve some people. I'm going to lay my life on the line today. That's what it does. It empowers you to serve people. Jesus serves us to empower us to serve others. Come on. Good point, Ryan. So as we close in verse 17, though, as I was thinking about this text, Jesus also gives us a promise at the very end of this text, if you didn't catch it, in verse 17. Here's what Jesus says. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Did you catch that? Jesus says it's a blessing to be a servant. He says you're not blessed if you know them. You're blessed if you do them. In James chapter 1, the brother of Jesus says the same thing. He says it's not the hearers of the word who are blessed. It's the doers of the word that are blessed. So you're only blessed. The word blessed in the Greek there means happy. You want to be the happiest person out here? Go serve people. And so as I was thinking about that, I was like, what is the blessing of serving? Like, honestly, I don't think many of us have probably heard my sermon and thought, this is a blessing. I just can't wait to sacrificially love those who hate me. You know, this is so blessed. I, I'm so happy. You know, you probably haven't thought that. And honestly, I'm not fully sure what Jesus means here. Completely. I'm sure there's layers and layers of this. I'm going to learn the rest of my life. But here's two things I wrote real quick that I think when it comes to the blessing of serving. If you're going to take what Jesus said for real, which he in, intends it to be taken for real. Okay, guys, this is not like a casual, hey, consider this. Here's the first thing of the blessing of serving. Here's the first thing is this. Most people, they meet Jesus by first meeting you. Okay, come on, somebody. And here's what I mean. You know how people meet Jesus oftentimes? It's because you serve them. You might be the only Bible someone ever reads. And when they see your life, loving them, pouring out for them, sacrificing for them, when you don't want nothing to do with them, listen, that speaks a powerful sermon. It does. 
And you may be the only person that they see Jesus through. That's why Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit. So there'll be a lot of little Jesuses running around. In fact, that's why the disciples were called Christian. It means little Christ. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now we go serve people sacrificially. And guess what? They see a different witness, a different life than they've ever seen before. The fact that you would serve me in this way, the fact that you would pour your life out for me in this way, man, they see Jesus. So people meet Jesus by meeting you. But here's the second thing that I've realized when it comes to serving and why it's a blessing. It's this, life to the fullest can never be found with you as the focus. Oh man, that's a tough one to learn. Look, I'm, I'm 24 years old. I had my birthday this past week. Um, and through my years of life, so many years of 24 years, I've learned a few things, but here's one of the things I'm learning. I am never satisfied with my life when I am the focus of it. Have you ever felt this? Listen, life will never satisfy you as you intend to make you the focus of it. You will never be satisfied. You will consistently pour water into a broken cistern that leaks from the bottom because it will never be enough. Life to the fullest can only be found when Jesus and others are the focus. That's why Jesus said the greatest commandment in all the Bible is love God and love others. You won't find satisfaction with you as the Lord of your life. So when we live this type of life, the cruciform life, the crucified life, the servant poured out in sacrifice to those who cannot and will not repay us, when we tap into that kingdom thread, we find a piece of joy and satisfaction that can't be found elsewhere. That's why Psalm 16 says, In my presence there's fullness of joy. At my right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You only find your life as you give it away. That's the great paradox of Christianity. You will never find your life trying to find it in you. So the blessing of serving. Thank you, Jesus, that we get a chance to be his witnesses in the world. Bless you. Be blessed. I just served you. I feel so blessed. You're jealous. So as we close, we're going to close with a couple questions that I want us to spend some time with the Lord on. As we all know, it is very easy to hear a sermon like this and go, wow, I just heard you. That was so good. <laughs> I'm going to brunch. I'm going to serve myself a pancake, which sounds delicious. Um, I forgot where it was. It's easy to hear. But what does the text say? You're not blessed by hearing God's word. You're blessed by obeying it. So here's what I want to do. I have a couple questions on the screen for us to reflect on and ask Jesus to speak to us. Guess what? Do you know God speaks to people? It's wild. He will speak directly to your heart and tell you exactly how to apply this message in your own life. So here's the two questions. The first is this. Where can you leverage your status for the sake of others? Where is it that God has given you authority? He's given you influence. He's given you opportunity to leverage your status for the sake of others. Where is that? 
Where is it that as I've been speaking, God has been prompting your heart, you know what you need to do. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you have so constantly strong-armed your spouse from laying your life down and serving them because guess what? You're not getting reciprocated. I mean, they're not pouring out to you, so why should you even try? I'm just gonna step back and walk away. I'm not gonna serve them the way Jesus calls me to. Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh my gosh, how did Christ love the church? He died for her. That's what you're called to. People balk at the idea that the Bible says women submit. You know what's harder than submitting? Dying. That's what men are supposed to do. Die to yourself. I can just promise you right now that's what God's saying to you. Because it's already, he already said it. He say, serve your wife, love your wife, pour your life out for her. And guess what? If she never says thank you, you know what you're going to do tomorrow? The same thing. Because that's my standard of service. Not mine, Jesus's. So where can you leverage your status for the sake of others? The second question is this. Who is God asking you to serve who cannot and will not repay you? Who is, that, who is God asking you to serve who cannot and will not repay you? Who's the person you're thinking of right now that it is so difficult for you to, to pour your life out for? For you to serve, for you to give a kind word to, for you to open the door for, for you to buy a meal for, to take a cup of coffee to, to be kind to? Who is it right now? Who is God putting it on your heart right now? And would you be willing to ask Jesus' spirit to empower you to do what you cannot do on your own? So let's take some time. Let's let God speak.